Oh, fun stuff, isn't it? Fun stuff. Well, my name is Thad, and uh, I'm going to call a couple other pastors up here to join me in a second, because we're going to walk through questions that you guys have asked either uh, on the connection card last Sunday or online on our um, website, and going to have fun doing it. But first, I just want to share the heart of uh, of where we're coming from again. Uh, if you weren't here last week, it's important to hear. Scripture says in 1 Peter three fifteen, uh, the second half of this passage, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Isn't that, that second half is very important, right? It's easy to get flustered and maybe you don't know the answer, and you want to, you're, you're questioning, should I pretend here? Should I make it sound like I know what I'm talking about? Or should I just genuinely in, in uh, you know, respect, full respect and, and gentleness, just tell them my heart in this issue? I don't know. But I, I think community truly happens when we don't build walls. We tear them down and just keep the conversation going. Uh, a phrase that has resonated with me when I'm dialoguing with somebody about maybe it's a controversial issue, because you're worried, man, if I answer this, I might lose a friendship sometimes. Um, it, just realize that disagreement is not discrimination. And so you don't have to, to fear. If you're in true community with somebody, if, even at work, if you're having a disagreement with somebody, you can work together. You just might not see eye to eye on something, but agree to disagree and move on together in life. Don't dis own each other, right? If you don't know the answer, check this out. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to him. I love that. Uh, Also in Matthew 10.19 and 20, it says, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Uh, so I love this. There's lots of passages that we could memorize. There's lots of script that we could like, oh, if it's this issue, I need to say exactly this reply. But that's not genuine. We need to allow God, the Holy Spirit in us, if you will, to awaken different stuff that we've discovered in our own personal times of reading Scripture, of being in church and being in a group, wherever uh, you've been really opened up to, to what the Bible does say if somebody's seeking an answer from it. Uh, and, and as far as Scripture's concerned, the reason we think that there's good Scripture uh, and good answers, we'll answer the question about the authenticity of Scripture here in a few minutes. But um, let me just throw these two passages out before we jump in. And, and uh, Bruce and Jaden, you guys can make your way up. All Scripture's God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, uh, and then 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by prophets' own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, Scripture's not our uh, twist of the... Uh, uh, of what Scripture says. You know, we're not trying to twist it to say what we want it to say. It's really from God. And if we put our weight on what it says, it'll help us answer questions. So we're going to try to do that today. As we look at the questions, if there's a Scripture, we'll try to find it. 
and give it to you. We're pretty unscripted, though, uh, except for one of the answers I studied up for like crazy. But anyway, uh, and then um, we're, we're just going to kind of flow along. If it's our opinion or it's what we think, we'll just say that, you know. We're not saying, thus saith the text, you know, all the time. And honestly, the thing I enjoy about the panel is we may not agree on an issue. And, and, and so that tension I appreciate. We just sang, you know, God makes that beautiful whenever there's like something that we're still processing. And so we'll just openly admit we're processing. So um, does that work? Is it, you guys ready? Let's have some fun today. Okay, so the first one, uh, uh, I was asked this face-to-face, and so I tossed it in the mix. Uh, I, am I really the same as a murderer because I sleep with my boyfriend before marriage? All sins being equal and all. Like that was the exact wording. Um, I have some thoughts on this. Do you guys have any thoughts? You want me to start or do you want? Okay, go for it. There we go. My name's Bruce, by the way, for those of you. I don't know if a lot of people even know who I am, Thad. Does, does it really matter if they know who we are? I, I don't know. Okay, that's, no. That's, Bruce is our... Bruce is our youth pastor, student life pastor. What do so we title you? Can, you? can you repeat the question? The no. question is, am I really the same as a murderer because I sleep with my boyfriend before marriage? All sins being equal in all? I think the one thing, I'll get to that answer, what I believe it to be, is one of the, I take this stuff serious, and I don't know if as Christians, I think we, as believers in Christ, we really need to... Like uh, Thad read that scripture, we need to know the hope that we have, and we need to have an answer. And I think it's important that you guys, that we all are doing that. So for me, as I was, I mean, I was looking at this and praying about it, and I mean, I just, I love getting on the internet and just studying and reading what people are saying, listening to sermons. I, I eat that stuff up. But I, I thought about it, and I, I wrote down something that says it's, it's not so much, oh boy, I can't even find it now. That figures, right? You just need an iPad. I know. I, I'm like, you guys look that high paper tech. Stuff this is, is my like, iPad right here. That's crazy. You go through ink and kill trees and things. No, God works through the paper. It is, I'll just go what I, what, with what I, my thoughts were, is the, the sin can be, you know, all sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God out of Romans. But there are circumstances and there's repercussions for various, uh, for various sins. A, a friend, I listened to a pastor one time speak. He was like, if I had a gun and I shot my friend's hand off, <laughs> he goes, I know it's kind of gruesome. He goes, I'd be so sad. I'd be like, this is horrible. But now my friend has to live with that fault that I did that, and shooting his hand off. So the rest of his life, there's that repercussion. It's like, if you tell a lie... Or if you murder somebody, Bruce, they can't can't be on the same level, can they? Well, in God's eyes, all sin, we've fallen short of the glory of God. But there are again repercussions for various things that we do and faults that we have that can hurt people worse. And so that's kind of my little tidbit. Well, I I think the the way that when I began to study this to answer that person, I, I had coffee with them, and and they're probably listening to this podcast. But just uh, when, I, when I 
met with them I had, and, and was studying, I found John 10, or 19, 11, very interesting. It, Jesus answering someone, he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handled me, or handed me over to you to, is guilty of a greater sin. And when I read that phrase, greater sin, it just like jumped out to me. And I was like, greater sin. Because, you, you know, all sins being equal and all was in the question. The reality is there, there are different sins and there's different levels. If you look in the Old Testament, there's different offerings people had to bring for different sins. All sin separates us from God, like you quoted from Romans. But there are different levels of Sin, and so I think it's it was, it's it hurts people. It's not very gracious, I guess, or merciful to tell them they're a murderer when they drank too much. You know, and and they get a little mad at the church when we do that. Um, but really, our heart is the same as that of First Corinthians seven thirty five that says, "I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you." but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. God's, God's desire is that we can live life to the full, and he doesn't want us to do anything that would inhibit the fullness of life. So did you have anything more to add to that? I, I just think that people oftentimes are convicted by their own sin, and it bothers them that, just like Bruce said, it doesn't matter what the sin is. The, still the consequence when it's between us and God is that it... it puts a block with our relationship to him. And so whether if I murdered somebody or whether if I'm sleeping with someone before I'm married, that relationship with God is affected. And so it bothers them that someone could, you know, go out and drink, get drunk. And then the Bible clearly says that getting drunk is a sin, just like it says murder is clearly sin, just like it says living in adultery is sin. And so it bothers us that Though all, anything, any type of sin that we do gets in the way of our relationship with God. But like you said, it's the consequences that are completely different. I'm, I'm not going to go to jail if I, um, you know, sleep with someone before I'm married. But if I murder someone, I probably will go to jail, you know. Yeah, good point. And, and since we used that as an illustration twice, I'll clarify, drinking is not sin, getting drunk. Yeah, that's what, that's what I, I think yeah, I said that. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that just so later when you go to lunch, nobody judges you. Anyway, so uh, when, uh, here's another question that we get asked all the time, and we may have answered it last week, but I couldn't remember, and Jaden couldn't remember, so we'll answer it again if we didn't. When will Open Life be a real church? Three years ago. <laughs> Isn't that funny, though? We get asked that all the time, and it's usually tied to this. When will you have your own building? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, answer it or you can answer I will, it. I mean, we just, we are a real church, so you're in a real place right now. <laughs> We're real. But the Bible, you know, the, the New Testament talks about the church, and the church really is not a building. It's a group of people who God has called to further his mission. And so us, we're a group of people, and we're doing that. So we're the church. So we are a real church. Um, we have a real pastor. We have a few real pastors. I get that question. When are you going to be, like, a real pastor? Because I don't, like, work full-time for a church. And I'm like, well, I, I really am a real pastor. So thank you. I'm going to 
I'll make your coffee now, you know, because I work in a cafe too. And so um, it's just the Jesus's church is all the believers. Like we're all part of Christ's church. And so us, Open Life, we felt like, or Thad, he started Open Life and he felt like Bonnie Lake was his thing. Like he wanted to get as many people in Bonnie Lake to join the mission of Christ. He wanted to create a group of believers, a church in Bonnie Lake for God's mission, specifically in Bonnie Lake. And so that's what he's doing. And so three years ago is what I would say. That's a good answer. That's, I, and, and I don't think, it, I think what we're doing here in a public environment is actually a step more missional, you know, in leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus than is putting all of our effort on raising funds to be able to afford like some sort of permanent residence. As actually sitting down with a communication director from Sumner uh, School District this week, and uh, she was saying they're going to have to restructure like their um, leasing agreements or whatever for their facilities because churches nowadays, 18 years ago when they wrote all their policies, churches would use schools for a moment while they were doing like a remodel or waiting to buy a piece of property to build. But now, like churches like us love what some would call marketplace worship environments, you know, places that you can rent, you can save funds, or you could rent like here, and we're putting money back into the school district by renting this facility and instead of throwing it into some lease that we're locked into for five years that we might outgrow. So anyway, we're a real church. I like that. Did you have a part? I do. Okay. And this is one of the things that Christy and I, uh, this was important to us about... Uh, what type of church we wanted to be uh, a part of. And if you go, and this is, this is the beauty of the Bible and study and being prepared for an answer or a question that's given to you. I've studied the book of Acts. I studied the history of the church. And I love, again, I love that stuff. If you go back and understand how God, how, how Christ set up the church back then, they met in Solomon's colony, which was a public area. And you look through as they started to go to Samaria and they started to meet in different areas and communities in that time and period, it was in a community setting. It wasn't in a separate building where everybody kind of goes to the building and then they leave the building for the rest of the week. No, they, they met in places that people congregated during the week. And, I, and it totally shift in thinking. And that's why I love what Open Life is doing. To me, And this is what it looked like, and this is what it should look like. Cool. Next question is kind of a pair of them. We'll just kind of link up together. If God is so good and loving, why does he allow so much suffering? The other question that's very similar is, why would God allow so much hate and hurt to be associated with religion? I think it all comes down to the very first sin is like, why would God allow... Adam and Eve to give in to temptation. And I think it all boils down to is he gave us a choice. He gave them a choice to live in perfect harmony with him in the garden and to just, well, I, mean, you, I always think about like, what would life have been like if they had never have given into that? It'd been awesome. Like just eternal blessings just to be able to walk with God and to be with him and just, you know, be in that right relationship without having to deal with any sin or anything, but they gave in. God gave us free choice. 
And so I really think it, that's what it boils down to today is we still all have a free choice to make right choices in relation to God or wrong choices. And so I think that's how it gets, specifically for that second question, is to be associated with religion. I mean, we all know there's parts of Christianity where people just hate and judge and are off on their own, and they're just calling people out without looking at themselves. You know, Jesus talked to those people. They called them Pharisees at that time. And so it's been a problem. It's not like it's just happening now. It's always been a problem. And so it's that, that's what I would just say is that it's our free will and people don't always choose to do the right things with their free will. I thought it was interesting as I, I actually was reading this weird blog a while ago that is a guy who tries to scientifically prove everything in Scripture, you know, and, and I think some people get mad at science and all this, but he was like, this is an interesting one because scientifically we have a wrong perspective on how the, the world was created because we, we have this premise that God created the world perfect, and he never says that in his word. He actually allowed the world to be created imperfectly to give us that free choice. It's not like if Adam and Eve would have not chosen the apple in the garden and sinned, that evil wasn't present. Evil was present. So it's like God created the world as a temporary measure. And, and, and so he looks back at all the scientific proof of its temporariness and it was intense. I, got, I fell asleep once, and then I got started reading again. And then, um, you know, but it was just realizing that, you know, we were created good and very good, but not perfect in Scripture, and, and looking at the reality of we're therefore, we're going to sin. He, he goes off on this tangent of how the human race is the only species that has become more and more like exponentially evil beyond other species, like devouring our own and killing our own just randomly and, and how that breaks down some of the theories uh, that are out there of life and creation and just all these things. And, and uh, I, think, I think we the best thing that we can do, is, because religion has gotten a bad name, people like have some weird views and cultic beliefs uh, where they are trying to earn their way to heaven. And in, in trying to earn their way into a better position to potentially go to heaven in their religion, they have to commit evil acts. And, uh, and that's not the way we, that's not the same God we follow. That's not the same book we, we read. Uh, the Bible is, is authored in, in love. Like Jesus is this massive point of, no, we need to love one another. Yeah, they deserve to be stoned, but this is where we don't stone. This is where we love, and that love will overcome the sin. And, uh, and so 1 Peter 2.15 says this, it's God, uh, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. And I, I like that passage for this, this question because uh, I think if we'll love well, we'll silence people's misconceptions of religion. And it may take a long time to do that. But uh, if we love really good, people will discover we're genuine. 
I think I went to that blog too or that website. I went to a lot of websites on this this particular topic. And I heard this one pastor and it, it was so good. He just said, what if we really did what Jesus says? And I, and I stopped. I'm like, okay. Like, we talk about pain and hurt and suffering in the world, and I wanted to find a statistic, so I started number crunching, because <laughs> I like to number crunch. And I, I'm like, how much of the world's suffering is caused by people's selfishness, their arrogance, their uncaring, their hate, and their abuse? The majority of pain and suffering in the world is caused by those things. And that kind of blew me away. And then I thought about the guy, the pastor, who said, again, what if we really did what Jesus said? So I just threw some things out. We say, you say eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, Jesus is telling his disciples, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your money, give him your cloak. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I mean, you want to talk about stuff that Jesus said. You read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Powerful stuff. If we did that, to me, the pain and the suffering in the world just gives an opportunity for a church and for God's Christ's love to, to just exude. It'd just be amazing what can happen. I think of Columbine, you know, Rachel's challenge. What was caused by that? I mean, you can go on and on and on, but you go to the bottom line, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of hurt. What if we, as a body of believers, reached out, and not just, I mean, not just to them, but to to everyone? It would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. I like that question. That's a good, and and we're always going to face that. And I think, honestly, one of the most confusing things to tell people who've been hurt by religion or or just they've suffered is to to only drop Romans 8:28 which says all things work for good for those who are in Christ Jesus cuz that still just leaves this massive question and like what do you mean God works all things for good and and uh but if taking an unbiased perspective on something I think we can find how God could utilize something really evil and bad to bring light to his word, and, and that's our challenge is to do that, but not in just an arrogant way, right? Great, great, great dialogue. Okay, here's one that they said they wanted me to jump into first, so this may feel a little more sermonish. Uh, but how do you feel about Christians who are gay? Is one. And, and then the, the, the other question that kind of matches that can Christians believe in gay marriage? So, Everybody brought rocks, right? Get ready to throw them at me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, It's just, it's kind of interesting. I would say my default response to any question like this is grace, mercy, and love. And my goal is ongoing relationship and conversation. I want to find out the perspective of what somebody's coming from when they're asking a question like this. If this is being asked of you, like, where are they coming from? Do they have a family member who's living the homosexual lifestyle? Do they, you know, which, which we, I do, which I have friends that are living a homosexual lifestyle on every spectrum. Uh, I've got friends that are flaming, cross-dressing, go to all the marches. I've got those who get really mad at those guys because they just, they're not saying I was 
born this way at all. They're saying, I just never had a positive role model uh, of the opposite gender, so I thought I'd be loved better by the same gender. And then you have those who believe, literally, they believe that they're born this way, you know? And, and so, so I think I wouldn't have even gotten that far to know that if I would have just started quoting scriptures to them. Because <laughs> it would have pissed them off, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, I think we need to listen better. I think we need, our default response needs to be, there's, there's a story here that, like, God is in love with this person, and, and I need to have a heart for them, and I need to discover, no matter, no matter the sin. I mean, we go back to all sins being the same and all, you know, uh, but just uh, we need to be good listeners and take God's response, which is John three sixteen and 17, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And then 17 is very important. Uh, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Like our goal shouldn't be, I know a scripture for that. You are detestable. <gasps> there you go. Your lifestyle is detestable. Done. Any other questions? You know what I'm saying? That's no good. Uh, I think that that heart could come across if we just start looking up, doing a word search, homosexual in Scripture, and start reading those passages. We're going to yank them out of context and really hurt some people for a long time. And so we need to have a better understanding, which is why I wanted to, to jump into this a little, little deeper. I think the most important thing for someone to catch if they're struggling with homosexuality is that they're not a mistake. And that might seem like a weird place to start, but I think, those, I think that person's probably asking that question. Underneath the question is that question, am I a mistake? Especially if, if they're this, and I'm going from the angle of this question, Christians who are gay, right? I, I, if they believe that they're a Christ follower and that they're gay, they, they're thinking they're a mistake because they've read these passages. But they're not. God's word does not contradict itself. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We read it last week on the, on the pro-life, pro-choice question. Uh, Psalm 139.13 says, You're created in the inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in life. So we shouldn't, you know, make someone feel as if they're a mistake. And I think accidentally we do that. So gentleness and respect might make us back up and be a little slower to answer someone if they ask us this question, right? And go, how do I do gentleness? How do I do mercy? How do I do love here? How do I keep this conversation going? God blesses man and says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God saw all that he made and it was very good. I mean, that's what he thinks about us as human beings. We're very good. The earth, the world, good, right? Not perfect, again. Humans, us, people, very good. That's, that's God's angle towards us. You're not a mistake. Um, and I could start just getting all teary thinking of the people that have... that I've probably hurt by answering this wrong. And uh, before I answered this question back in 2011, I went on to Facebook and friend requested some of those. And 
apologized for when I was their youth pastor and was a, a really ignorant on answering this question. <laughs> and uh, the coolest deal the other day was a friend request that came from someone that I'm actually really uncomfortable with looking at the pictures on their Facebook. But to know that they would friend request me and start the conversation, it's humbling. You know, it's an honor. Uh, so what does the Bible teach us about homosexuality? Whew. Uh, uh, l- let me first start here. Uh, in Romans, you quoted it earlier, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First uh, John 1, 7 through 10 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus, the Son, purifies us from all sin. But... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have sin in our life. We all have sin in our life. And if we try to elevate one over another, that's our wrong. That's our pride. That's our fault. Uh, And so, um, personally, I want to have a conversation with somebody on a level playing field. So, if I'm going to have this conversation with someone, I I first want to know whether they think that they have any sin in their life or not. Because if they're not willing to confess that they're not perfect, I'm going to confess that I'm not perfect. But if they're not willing to confess that they're not perfect, then I think it's going to be hard to even start this conversation. Um, But if I can have a level playing field conversation, then I could look at a passage like 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were, past tense, were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Um, There's past tense there to all those things. There's a lot of things bundled right there together. Greed, swindling, you know, uh, being being deceitful with our words, slanderers. How can we elevate one sin above another in a moment like that? And I, I, I think we need to be very careful to just hop on a favorite sin and make people feel bad. That's a bad motivation. And uh, so we need to we need to, to love people. I could read through Leviticus, and, uh, but I'll spare you the time of that. But if you want to do some research, I'll give you a couple scriptures to write on your handout. Leviticus 18. Read all of Leviticus 18, 22. Don't just, your Leviticus 18. Don't just land on verse 22. Uh, uh, Leviticus 20. Read all of it, not just verse 13. Because you'll read all this stuff. You're supposed to honor your parents. You're supposed to honor moms right? Isn't that what we're doing today? And we have a gift for all the moms on your way out, uh, a little little symbol of our appreciation and thanks for you, as well as kid president showing up today. That's cool. He wants all of us to dance, make this world a better place. Um, but I, I just, when you read those, realize there's a lot of things in those same passages that we can't pull one thing out and make it like worse because it's it's not in fact 142 different things are listed in scripture as being detestable to god not just one and you'd think if you read some christian blogs only one sin is detestable to god no they all are 
So we need to not be knuckleheads. Uh, finally, um, so can someone struggle with homosexuality and be a Christian? Absolutely. Because uh, uh, we're all struggling with some sin, yet we're trying to be a Christian. And then the other piece of that question, and then I'll open it up if you guys have any dialogue. I'm eating up all the time here, but you asked me to go first. Uh, if our, our goal, again, should be to love and keep the conversation going, right, with somebody no matter, no matter what their sin struggle is. And uh, about the whole marriage deal, we live in a state where it's illegal. Uh, uh, so, again, a disagreement is not discrimination. And it drives me nuts when I'm put in that camp unfairly. You're discriminating. You're a hater. Not really, though. Like, so this is where I'm going to live in such a way that you'll realize I'm not. And I understand initially you might think I am if I don't agree with, like, if I say I'm probably not going to do your wedding. Uh, right after that law went past, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just, you know, hanging out with my business owner friends, and they asked me to do a wedding expo. That was fun. I was asked a lot of interesting questions during that, you know, and, uh, and, and so I kind of had to really do a crash course. You know, I, I, realized, I realized I've done weddings for people who weren't perfect Christians. I've gone to weddings for people who weren't Christians at all, but they exchanged vows and, and became legally united. I think when we try to morally uh, impose upon people what is scriptural, outside of them having a faith in Christ, we're up for a challenge no matter what. And our world is changing. Our nation is changing. So would I go to a wedding if, if my relative was getting married? I would, I would go. If one of my friends were getting married and I was invited, I'd probably go. Would I do the wedding? I don't, although I have license to do that as a minister of the gospel in the state of Washington, I don't see that I have license for it scripturally, so I'd, I'd probably refer them to somebody. Who would? Is that good? Was that enough? Is that? Do you guys have anything to add to that? Good answer. Okay. Well, then we'll we'll move on. I'll go to coffee and dialogue with you on that anytime in love and respect and gentleness, and uh, uh, and I continue to have that conversation with all my friends that are living that lifestyle. Uh, what are your beliefs on prayer? Do you believe that repetition is best? I believe prayer is good. <laughs> you should always pray. Um, Paul teaches that we're to pray continually. And so um, if you read that scripture, then repetition would be best. And really, uh, I really think it comes down to like, you know, and I don't want to like be the cop-out guy who says, well, I pray all the time in my heart. Um, and because I pray continually, and so I might not ever, like, set aside time to pray, but I always in, like, a, a mode of prayer, and I think there are people who are in that mode of prayer, but I also really feel like it's very powerful and needed to just have a set aside a time to really just take your cares to God, take your concerns, take your whatever's going on in your life in that day, take it to God and say, God, this is what's going on, this is what I just want to bring to you. There's stuff going on. Or maybe it's just a time of saying, God, thank you for all the things you've done for me. And I think a good, um, a good like, guide for your prayers is to look how Jesus taught us to pray with the Lord's Prayer. And I believe that's in Matthew 5 or 6. So uh, you should go read all of Matthew and you'll find it. And so it's really good. 
<clears throat> but um, but to, to like um, follow that as kind of a good way. And if you ever have questions, but really you're just talking to God. So I don't even want to say like you have to do it in a certain way. There's no magic words that get you to talk to God. You don't have to start your prayer like in your name, Jesus, I pray. There's nothing. You just, you can, you don't even say start off with a dress, but God hears your prayers. He, he hears your thoughts, but you have to be intentional about it or else you're, you're not like taking the step. And before I pray, one of the things I think is important is to know that you are praying to the God of the universe, not just some, uh, what was it on, Talladega Nights, oh, little baby Jesus, baby, baby Jesus. But to know that you are praying and you are speaking with the Almighty God. And I don't know if this question was actually referring to repetitious uh, prayer like, saying uh, the, it's in Matthew 6, by the way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I went to a Catholic high school, and it was very good for me because like the, sec, um, like the homosexual question, um, I wanted to understand why do we do the prayer of the rosary? Why do we pray to Mary? Why I wanted to know that, and I wanted to understand that. As I began to get into it deep and understand the church history, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I don't necessarily agree with it, but now I get it. Uh, to me, you know, the prayer of the rosary, I mean, there's a, there's a history behind it, and I don't want to even want to go. It's deep, so <laughs> I don't want to go into that. But to me, repetitious prayer, there is a story uh, of a gal in, in Scripture, a woman who keeps going back to the king and keep asking, keep asking, and keep asking. And finally, just said, ah, and he re- gives her request. And, and I, not that, now when I think of, when I pray about something to Christ, I'm like, Lord, I just come to you. And I, I do. I pray for things over and over and over again. And I just figure, Lord, if you want me to stop coming and asking for this, then you're going to change my heart. So in that regard, I do believe in repetitious prayer because I'm going to keep coming after it. And, and, and fight for that. And that's how I see prayer. For me, it's a wrestling time. It's a, it's a time for Christ to change my heart or that I can move and those kinds of things. Good. Good stuff. How about this question? How can we know the Bible is accurate and true? I, I, I love this question. I can so do geek I. out on this stuff. <laughs> like, Josh McDowell's an incredible author and, like... Uh, apologetics and stuff with this. I threw an image at Jaden. Did you put that on the manuscripts image? No. So there's a, there are uh, different ways of informing people of how accurate a text is, if you will. Um, And and you determine like historical texts and their accuracy off of not only how uh, how many manuscripts of the original text you have, but how close apart those texts were being copied on like papyrus material. You know, just this really uh, old way of, you know, didn't have copiers and computers and hard drives. So they just wrote it over and over and over again. And then how early of a date you have in finding those manuscripts. And so when you look at those who were preserving the Word of God, the Scriptures, uh, they copied it, and there's copies that are as, as few as 50 years apart. 
and they were found in, in, in 50 to 125 A.D. compared to some of our other historical ancient writings that we embrace. And, uh, uh, and so when you do the research, and I'll toss this image out on uh, our Facebook page so you can see it, uh, later today, but just it's, it shows you the different texts that we embrace in the world we live in, uh, and you know, Plato's texts and all these different ones, and there are 24,000 manuscripts of the Bible compared to the like eight from some of our other embraced ancient writings. The Bible is known to be uh, one of the most historically accurate or best preserved it's really, what you see is really what they wrote. But the other piece as to how accurate it is, you would think with 24,000 copies of it, you have like a huge amount of error. Because if you ever played the game where you whisper something to someone and they whisper something to someone, by the time you get to the end, it's totally different. Well, these guys were scribbling out stuff over and over and over and over again. You'd think there'd be a huge amount of error, but instead, there's even a greater percentage of accuracy with 24,000 than there was with like eight texts of someone else. So how do we know that the Bible is accurate? If you've done any research at all, you'd know it's the most accurate historical text there ever was, which therefore puts you and me, when we begin to study it, at a place where we have to make a decision as to whether we should follow Jesus or not, because it's clearly put, the question's put to us in Scripture. And uh, so we should be living according to it. Because it, it's, it's historically accurate and uh, all that good stuff. We'll answer the other question online because we've run out of time. Uh, and it's pretty interesting, too, how is God created so that, you know, how did God create himself to create the world? That's an awesome question. Uh, and we'll go even maybe deeper into some of these, and we'll put those videos on our uh, city profile, which you can link to from our website. And we'll throw one up a week or so. If you have additional questions, then you can write it in the prayer section. If you grab that connection card that was on your seat, hopefully you filled that out already. On the back in the prayer section, you can ask another question if you have it, or there's a couple other responses that you could give today. Uh, But we just want you to be challenged from Scripture. Keep the conversation going. Love people. Don't shut them down. And uh, answer in gentleness and respect. I want to pray. And then James is going to come and do his thing, probably stand-up comedy or something. So, Lord, I thank you for uh, your word. And no matter the randomness of questions, really there is at least a principle we can find. And there's great material to study from out there online and and as well in Bible programs like YouVersion or Logos or study Bibles. I just thank you that we have access to study it and to find the answer. But that ultimately puts us at a place of response. And I thank you for preserving the text so that we know it's accurate. We don't have to question its authenticity. And I just pray that, God, we would respond. We would follow you, Jesus, and that we would become on mission with you, realizing right where we work, where we're at in community, we can make a difference as we go out from here is really the true test of our faith. And uh, I just give you give you thanks for those that are with us today and, and for the difference we're going to be able to make in our community this week. In Jesus' name, amen.